Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science, a podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series, and I'm joined today, as always, by uh, our co-host Tony Nofrio and Tom Meehan, and our producer Diego Rodriguez, uh, and our associate producer uh, Wilson Gabarino. And today we're going to talk a little bit about all things uh, loss prevention, asset protection, uh, retailing, security, however you want to look at it. Uh, I'm going to kind of talk initially a little bit about um, what we're up to at the LPRC. Again, um, for all of our members, and we've got closing in on 200 now corporate members, uh, including over 70 major retail corporations and all their banners and divisions, uh, as well as uh, just over 100 uh, solution partners or SPs members, as we call them. We also got manufacturing members like Procter and Gamble, P&G, um, and a lot of industry associations or industry partners, we call them like Loss Prevention Magazine or LP Magazine, the LP Foundation, of course, um, RELA, NRF, uh, National Association of Chain Drug Stores, National Association of Convenience Stores. Uh, we've got the International Council of Shopping Centers, um, the Food Marketing Institute or FMI, the big supermarket group, uh, and, and, and the list goes on. So it's a large thriving, growing community. And we'd love each and every one of you. If your organization is not a member, uh, please look into that. Go to lpresearch.org. Uh, love to get involved with you all. Our team's growing. You know, we've gone in the last, really literally in the last year from six uh, employees to 14 team members now. Um, and we'll continue to grow accordingly. We're trying to, we're trying, of course, like everybody else, uh, target people with character. Uh, people that are highly capable um, and people that have a lot of energy and are good team team members, um, that they are collaborative. So we've been pretty blessed so far recently to have not only our largest and most capable team, but I would argue the last C really is uh, a team with a lot of chemistry and we're getting a lot of things done and having a good time doing it. Um, so uh, with no further ado, let me talk a little bit about the events again. We've got six events. We've got our uh, working groups, over half a dozen of those. Um, kickoff again as a reminder. Uh, now, seating is limited. Uh, we have the Bloomingdale's at their flagship store host, the annual LPRC kickoff. It's a gathering of the community at the beginning of the year. It's a planning meeting. Uh, we showcased sometimes one to three technologies from our SPs. Um, according to what we're looking into right then, working on or planning to do uh, going forward, in this case, in 23. So January 18th, 2023, Bloomingdale's. Um, the way to get involved is to reach out to uh, Diego, uh, D-I-E-G-O, Diego at lpresearch.org, if you're interested in participating in that. Um, so the next thing to do is let us know, but the seating is limited. Uh, our SP members are encouraged to participate uh, with a limit of one, uh, pretty much the same for our retailer members, just because of the huge surge in demand um, and, again, the limited seating. So, But that's the day after the NRF, National Retail Federation's big show event uh, in New York City. So we're all looking together, looking forward, excuse me, to getting together and uh, celebrating the new year uh, and planning out a great 2023 
to get better and better at safeguarding vulnerable people and places. The next one, again, we talk a lot about is Ignite, our annual uh, Board of Advisors winter planning meeting. Uh, the last few years has been, of course, hosted by the LPRC team in our facilities or University of Florida facilities uh, in Gainesville. And um, this year, again, it's February 21st and 22nd. There'll be a reception the evening of the 20th, that Monday evening in uh, February. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. That's our board of advisors. That's our LPRC Innovate Advisory Panel. Uh, there may be some working group leaders in as well. So it's a leadership meeting. But we're also having this year, and I've, I know I've mentioned this before, we're having Integrate. Integrate is going to be about pulling together a host of sensors and a host of action tools across the pathways or the journey uh, to crime or to harm, to victimize that offenders or, or crews take to harm us, whether it's theft, fraud, or violence. We call it crime scripting. I'm going to talk a little bit about crime scripting in a minute, um, but it's a it's something that uh, in criminology we've used for probably well over a decade and a half now uh, with a lot of research supporting the, the process. And uh, it's been primarily adopted by uh, criminologists working with law enforcement agencies. So the process is going to be what we describe now, but our team is going through that. In fact, yesterday, six of us were doing what we used to call in the Army a terrain walk. And so we literally uh, walked our four square block area that we call the University of Florida Safer Places Lab um, Central. And um, we went from where a couple of red actors will be in a vehicle posting and doing things online, as we mentioned. But the idea yesterday with the train walk was, all right, these two offenders are going to end up affecting this place and then go somewhere else after that. But they're going to start somewhere. They're going to create the uh, the victimization, the harm. They're going to harm somebody through their crime here, but they're then going to get away and they're going to go somewhere else. And so we would like to understand uh, each step and stage that they're going to take to come our, to plan, to come our way, to affect us in that place, and then to escape and then to move to another place or two. Um, what's every step and stage? What behavioral signals are they going to give off visual signals by their movements, their tools and other features. There are features about them, features about their vehicle in this case, features about any tools or weapons that they might have, features about their communications um, and so on. So those features are what we want to look for and then later need to match uh, or they could even trigger an alert in there. And we'll talk about that um, in greater depth as we move forward. So we were we start out here. They're posting on these platforms. What are the platforms? Our team names them off uh, because we go in there and look through platforms to get into this. Some of these offender clusters that are out there uh, chattering and planning and threatening online. So our SOC team is looking at our researchers there on how do we identify those, get good intelligence and actual intelligence either shows us how the pattern shows us how they're operating, looking for new tactics and techniques, uh, but also maybe pending uh, a victimization coming up. Is there a way that we could pull things out that are actionable and share those with our law enforcement partners? And of course, with our practitioners, our team members in the field to take protective action. So um, what are all the signals? What are we looking for at this zone five beyond our parking lot, five zones of influence? Zone five beyond the parking lot, 
the built and the cyber environment, social environment. Zone four, you transition, that's our parking area, our boundary for that property, that place, whether it's a distribution center, an office, or of course, a store environment, a mall, a center, or individual standalone store. That's four. How do we affect behavior? How do we pick up on these signals? So what are the signals now that this vehicle's moving that they're giving off? Visual, aural, digital from the vehicle, from the individuals in the vehicle, um, in all the ways that they can. Okay, what sensors do we need now in five as they uh, are stationary, as they're moving toward us? What sensors do we need to pick these signals up? Where do we place our sensor platforms? We now have seven, uh, hopefully more on the way uh, from LiveView Technologies and Ecamm Secure right now. Uh, we may have more from those, but also uh, a potential new member, it looks like as well, uh, arraying these visual, aural, and digital sensors on these platforms. Where do we place them? What do they look like? What sensors do we have? How do we get those sensors uh, via the cloud? faster, lower latency, um, more uh, more bandwidth, put more, push more signals and, and push more uh, to the SOC, but also pull more data and things like that. Uh, so working on all that, now we're looking at approaching our south parking lot of where our hub is, where our six research labs are, moving in, uh, what are, they come through the entry area, again, what visual, aural, and digital signatures are they giving off and signals? What sensors do we need there? What angles, distance, focal points? Um, how do we have, you know, how do we validate with double or triple uh, data collection if we need to from different platforms and things like that? Um, they uh, exit the vehicle, they prepare, they do things in the parking lot. Um, they then approach and enter the building. Now they're in zone three, the interior of the building. Um, so it's that approach, that transition, that entry, that transition through the building through zone three um, again what are they now doing what are their behaviors what are their physical features of them their clothing their movement their behaviors the objects that they've got you know the weapons or tools or uh, other things that they're doing are they talking on phones they have uh, mobile devices are there signals and signatures that those are emitting again that's where the digital part comes in in addition to the aural are they talking? What are they saying? Are they screaming? Are they banging on metal, breaking glass? Uh, the list goes on. So we're going through as a team, going through that. They go up, up into the engagement lab, our simulated store environment. They're now going to be taking a series of products that are protected in different ways or unprotected. What are some of the protective display fixtures? What signals do they give off in addition to behaviors, the, uh, the observable behaviors and all the things we talked about, visual, oral, and digital? signals in that zone three in that space zone two of course is that proximary around the target in this case they are targeting uh specific assets in there are the protective fixtures generating apis and alerts can those go to uh, a smart device that's there by the with the place manager go to our security operations center lab as you all know we have a SOC lab that's extremely capable now um, what are they doing in there what are we sensing who's getting who's knowing about it are we coordinating this group uh, aggress becomes aggressive. They uh, take merchandise. Uh, they may also take some other things that generate sensors um, that generate signals and they exit the building rapidly. They uh, do certain things in the parking lot, get in their vehicle, exit the vehicle. What all did we pick up about the vehicle? Make, model, color, 
uh, customization, damage, uh, the tag or no tag present or no readable tag, um, state, number, everything else that's going on, All again, all the digital and other oral and visual signals. Uh, they turn right. They start to head westbound through our four-square block area, the Safer Places Lab environment. Then they uh, stop at an intersection. We've got simulated traffic light, for example, that could pick up. That can be collected data simulating public safety uh, data sets that sometimes uh, retailers can access uh, with their law enforcement partners. They proceed westbound to another intersection, turn left, go south, go to the next intersection, turn left, go east, turn uh, left into the next area that's simulating another store for us. We've got all these data that came out from all the sensors uh, from the event itself, bang, you know, there's left at and right of bang in military or law enforcement parlance. So uh, what all did we generate? What signals, what alerts were gen generated during their theft event, during their aggressive, forceful theft event? What was displayed and so on? Were there weapons, tools used, um, certain behaviors, certain speech, um, certain movements, clustering of people, um, angles at, at shelves and all these things that we're looking at with models and with partners? Um, that all, excuse me, generates data uh, around what happened. It's alerting certain people locally on point there, the manager, the place manager, uh, he or she, as well as to the SOC uh, directly, as well as the manager. Um, are they are other places being alerted with better information? Um, can they battle track these people as they move past the other sensors? We've got a rate throughout our four square block area, our lab area. Um, now they show up at the next point. Are now, now this is not the first time we collect data as they enter, as we collect data while they victimize the place, harm us. Uh, but then now pulling those data, all those signals, making sense. Uh, and then now these things can be matched up as they move into the second area um, to, to victimize that store, that place, those people. Now we start to have alerts. Guess what? We know where they are. Uh, do we share that with other stores? Do we share that with our law enforcement partners with other retailer partners with a much more complete suite of information um, that's going to help uh, stop this and maybe uh, neutralize or incarcerate this team, this crew, um, and so on. The whole reason we're trying to do all this, and this goes on and on our scenario, is to just better understand that what happens here doesn't necessarily start here and, and rarely does and probably is not going to end here. And how do we get ahead of the issue before they come our way, as they approach, as they enter and all that before uh, left of bang, as much as at bang, how do we deter, disrupt, and document what they're doing throughout their journey to crime? Those are aiming points for our action tools, making it riskier, less rewarding for the offender, more difficult for the offender, uh, and so on. Uh, in the meanwhile, we're documenting if they're not getting it or just don't care. We're, we're able to share, convict, uh, for longer and so on, all doing this. Now, we understand most, if not all, retailers are not going to have all the sensors, all the action tools along every step and stage of the offender. But the idea that we're trying to do here is uh, better understand through crime scripting, what does the individual think about? How do they acquire, prepare, coordinate, move, uh, communicate, you know, and so forth on foot, online, in vehicles and so on, just understanding better, more deeply, each individual crime event 
and as well as crime events at, in the aggregate, a bunch of them, uh, to understand how to better know and do uh, the things that we need to. And uh, that way, retailers can compare and contrast. We want to stretch this. We actually literally want to break our sensor pattern and uh, the common operating picture that we're trying to achieve here to create very actionable, better, earlier de uh, detection, much better to find um, uh, situations than we normally do or have right now so that we can all together get better and retailers can work together, work with mall and shopping center owners, with law enforcement partners, potentially with government grants and other funding mechanisms to get the tools they need to better deploy and execute those tools to better safeguard, trying to do things cost effectively um, and so on. And I think this is these kinds of things go beyond a thought process uh, to building a strategy, building the operational uh, model, building the actual plan, uh, and then trying to execute and improve in that continuous improvement cycle. And here, with over 70 retail corporations and just a, so many brilliant LP, AP practitioners, so many brilliant solution partner technicians and engineers and computer scientists, you know, our team, our research team of eight researchers dedicated solely to helping each and every one of our retailers and individually as well as collectively uh, helping our SPs get better and better, providing what's needed, making what they provide much better, uh, figuring out not just what to get, but how to best use it. So there's a lot of method to the madness here. It's very complex and it's a long explanation. It's, you can imagine it's even a lot deeper, much deeper, more complex um, and putting it together. We've got um, on our LPRC Innovate Advisory Panel, we've got eight amazing technology companies. Uh, we'll be talking more about them in the future uh, that are engaged monthly with our team and with the innovation people from 30 major retailers, uh, plus one, we call it now, uh, Bunnings Group down in Australia and New Zealand, to flesh out this scenario, flesh out other scenarios. Uh, the, our tech partners on the AP, you know, the advisory panel also providing more significant resources and funding and technologies so that we can build and add to the LPRC research team. You know, it's aspirational for us to get a, a data scientist, somebody that can really build uh, things in Python, can help us interface even more technically with our solution partners and the integrations. We've got a new member, Jonathan Dong, who's, Duong, who's on our team now. He is our, uh, our R&D tech. So he's the guy that really understands technologies and so on. So we do have that resource now, and, and Jonathan, Jonathan has been amazing. Uh, Stephen, Stephen McKay on our team as a research assistant has been amazing in helping us put these together. Orion San Angelo, a research scientist here, is leading the integration process itself, acquiring, looking for gaps, doing that gap analysis. What do we need? How do we get it? Who's got it? How do we get it here? Deploy it. Uh, Eli. Uh, from Serverly is amazing. He's our technical advisor to help us pull everything together and create a common operating picture. We have a, a variety of VMSs available to us now, um, including Milestone, um, to pull each and every sensor together, identify it. We've got uh, 389 technologies now across our six LPRC labs uh, and then outside across the four square blocks of the Safer Places lab. So uh, exciting. Uh, I, can't, I don't want to go on for too long because we've got two other people uh, on our team here to put out some amazing information. Um, 
but just let us let us know uh, your thoughts, your inputs, your questions around what we're trying to do with LPRC Integrate, uh, and what we what we'll be not just demonstrating, but doing practical applications during uh, Ignite Integrate uh, in February uh, with our members, um, and then we will uh, start to implement different theft scenarios, crime scripting those through this process. The same with violent crime. Think about anything from aggressive behavior, which we'll be working on in this one, uh, in the parking lots, um, armed robberies, active assailants, um, those types of things. And then think about some of the in-store fraud scenarios we'll be working on, so supply chain crime scripts uh, in the distribution or fulfillment centers, as well as the transport during actual uh, on the road and, and over the road and other transport. So we're excited about it. We think this gives us the backbone, this has been part of the method of the madness for me anyway, trying to design this over the last uh, really decade and acquire the tools and the technologies and getting the permissions from from the university where I'm a criminologist, a research scientist in the Wertheim College of Engineering, slowly but surely pulling everything together, getting these things lined out. And now we're starting to pull everything together and make it happen. I've got calls today with a series of Retailers, um, they're some of their top executives that work on innovation uh, to implement these things. We had public supermarkets, their senior strategist, and um, and Rick, who is one of their senior managers as far as solutions, helping us. So we're getting a ton of input from all the right people. All right, with no further ado, and we will keep you posted, let me turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, take it away. Thank you, Reed, uh, for all those great updates. Uh, let me start this week with the just published 15 annual retail study from Zebra. This year it is titled, The World Has Changed, But Have Retailers. Uh, as they said in the study, the next normal is unified commerce. As customers return to levels of pre-pandemic shopping in stores, retailers need to accommodate rising expectations for convenience, fulfillment, frictionless experience, and price sensitivity. The key trends that were identified in the studies, number one, shoppers embrace blended channel experiences. Shoppers continue choosing online or in-store for the same reason, availability, selection, and price. They prefer retailers by 80% with easy returns that are allowed them to get in and out of the stores quickly, 76%, and offer delivery to home, 75%. They're also taking advantage of alternative pickups and delivery options with 34% of shoppers opting to buy online, pick up in stores, or buy in store and ship to home. And 90% saying they will continue to use these services. Number two, associates are everything. Associates are the bridge between retailers and shoppers. They will play a pivotal role in ensuring Shopper expectations are met. However, retailers are struggling to hire uh, and retain workers in a competitive hiring market. 78% of associates and 84% of decision makers believe making technology, using technology is an asset in attracting, training, and retaining extraordinary workers. Number three, investing in innovation. Retailers are doubling down on tech investments to keep pace with consumers. 82% of decision-makers surveyed said they plan to increase tech investment in the next three years. 
They're also preparing to evolve physical store designs with 45% planning to convert more cash registers to self-checkout and 43% converting space for contactless uh, checkout. Again, this is a great topic here for LPRC on innovation uh, in terms of optimizing that for also loss prevention. Number four, managing market forces. From supply chain issues in the news to empty shelves and the stores, consumers are clearly aware of the challenges that retailers face. Nevertheless, they are still frustrated when inventory and 76% of decision makers are feeling the pressure to minimize out of stocks. And 82% agree they have increased focus on supply chain operations. And finally, number five, shoppers' behaviors shift to new habits and preferences. Old habits do die hard, as they point out in the research, but post-pandemic, new habits uh, have uh, staying power. After several years of accelerated growth of e-commerce and newer technologies like contactless payment, shoppers now expect a seamless experience however they shop. So these five trends are extremely important. They are something, again, to keep starting here at the LPRC. I think they are important trends in terms of where retail is going uh, uh, into the new year. The top priorities in the new startup when invest in new technologies are increased automation, improve inventory management, which includes real-time visibility, out-of-stocks, cycle counts, shrink, and fraud visibility. So it's good to see that shrink and fraud are in the top three. Um, and then be number three, be, become more sustainable. The top five emerging technologies identified by decision makers uh, for the next five years are advanced order fulfillment management, employee experience technologies, prescriptive analytics, demand planning, and distributed order management. And finally, the key takeaways from the new data this year are the following. Number one, meet the shopper expectations um, around availability, selection, and price, manage supply chain and inventory, drive tech experiences, especially for associates, focus on the right emerging technologies in the five-year look, which today center around labor and supply chain. So a really great study would encourage you to look at it. And since this is Thanksgiving week, uh, let me finish with a summary of some fun facts about the USA holiday of Thanksgiving. Uh, you may not know, for example, that the day after Thanksgiving is the busiest day for plumbers. So plumbers are the busiest after the day after Thanksgiving. Americans eat 704 million pounds of turkey every Thanksgiving. The Butterball hotline answers 100,000 plus uh, related turkey questions every year. I did not know that female turkeys don't gobble. The movie Frozen had its biggest uh, Thanksgiving opening of any movie ever on Thanksgiving. Tofu is the most hated Thanksgiving dish. Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song. The first Thanksgiving uh, that started it all actually lasted three days. The woman who got reinstated, who got Thanksgiving reinstated as a national holiday, also wrote 
the uh, Mary had a little lamb. Canada celebrates Thanksgiving also, but celebrates it on a different day. The Macy's Thanksgiving uh, Day Parade balloons uh, used to be used to actually be let go into the air after the show. About 50 million people watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade actually. The original TV dinner was a result of a Thanksgiving miscalculation. Swanson ordered too much turkey and they had to do something with it, so they created the uh, TV dinner. Red wine is the most popular Thanksgiving uh, tipple or drink. Holiday weight gain accounts for most of the thickening associated with aging, so keep that in mind as you eat all that food. Traditional cracking the wishbone is actually very ancient and goes back to the Etruscans, which are a pre-Roman uh, people in Italy. Uh, so this is pre-Roman Empire or pre-Roman Republic. Benjamin Franklin liked turkeys more than he liked bald eagles. And in fact, there was a devil about making the turkey the national bird for the United States. And Thanksgiving is American's second favorite holiday behind Christmas, and it is followed by Halloween. So those are the top three. So just wanted to take a moment to wish all of you and thank you all for listening to this podcast. And we appreciate the growing popularity of it. And we are always open to ideas to improve. For all the U.S. listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Or for some of you that are listening after a belated Thanksgiving to you and your family, we appreciate you. Thank you. Over to you, Tom. Well, thank you, Reed, and thank you, Tony, and a lot of exciting stuff going on. Uh, today is the Tuesday. We're taping uh, just a couple days before Thanksgiving, so for all the listeners out there, I think you'll hear this uh, the week of Thanksgiving or potentially the week after, so have an, a very happy Thanksgiving, spending the time with your family. Um, I think one of the things that I'm grateful for is the industry uh, and obviously being able to work with Tony and Reed and have everybody here listening. So a couple couple different things. Wanted, wanted to kind of mix it up a little bit, talk a little bit about some just things going on out in the, in the world today. Uh, the Wall Street Journal just released their top airports, and I thought this was really interesting. Uh, SFO was listed as the top, so San Francisco Airport in the United States. As someone that travels just a, a tremendous amount of time, um, it, it's always interesting to see what other folks think about airports and travel. San Francisco airport to me, I have actually an office in Northern California, so I'm in that airport at least once a month. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't actually, until I read this article, knew of some of the amenities. There's a, a yoga studio, uh, a wine tasting bar. And, uh, one of the interesting points about this is San Francisco airport doesn't use the loudspeakers everywhere. They actually limited the number of loudspeakers so that you could be more focused uh, while you're in the airport and have a more peaceful transition. Uh, why am I bringing this up? I thought it was an interesting article, but also as we embark on Thanksgiving, uh, we have seen air travel uh, return to almost pre-pandemic levels, which is phenomenal when you think about it, um, where we're at and uh, more expensive than it was before and absolutely um are, are in a better position from travel than you've ever been as far as, I don't know that I've been on a flight that hasn't been full. 
so certainly definitely something uh, positive out out there. The other thing, and I'm sure Tony mentioned some of this, and we'll be a little bit repetitive here, but um, analysts are expecting folks to spend seven percent more on holiday shopping this year to, uh, than they have in, in past years. So even with the increase, even uh, all those things uh, things combined, and this is on top of the inflationary gap, so the uh, inflationary uh, demand. So this really means that people are continuing to spend. While there is some analysts that talk about wallet share being down for customers, the reality is the spend is still at a point that uh, in, it's increasing. Uh, now that, that that does have something some relationship to cost of goods, but as we know here on the podcast, that there's still a fair amount of sales and um, inform, uh, things out there because of some of the over inventory positions, I think a lot of retailers are in a much better place. I, I've been out and about traveling, and I see quite quite a a, a bit of activity. Uh, this is heavily based on our employment situation here in the United States. You know, roughly uh, just just under ninety seven percent of Americans have a job, so that that plays a big role into where that that comes that chair comes from and the, the, the unemployment number is still at all time lows at a, a little bit over three and a half percent, but you have uh, anywhere from 96 to 97% of the population working, which allows that spend to happen. So I know we talk about all the doom and gloom and the things to come and certainly we're aware of the potential, but I think it's, it's important to note that, you know, we are, we are in a position right now where there is still some, positivity going on in the markets. I think there's a lot to be said about what what the news says and what the analysts say versus what actually happens. And that's not a, a shot at the news. I think we, as human beings, have defied a lot of the analysts in the past and may continue that. I also think there's no doubt that inflation is a challenge and that we are in, um, in an economic situation that eventually uh, will probably affect all of us in some fashion. So switching gears a little bit, um, we've been staying on top of the whole Twitter, um, Elon Musk thing since the beginning, uh, well before the purchase, we talked about it. And I think, um, to, you know, there's been a lot of news around uh, mass layoffs, people leaving. Uh, it's important, a couple important notes to, to, to say is that Twitter's um, act, uh, monthly active users somewhere around 200 million um, and they had 7,500 and approximately 7,500 employees before Elon Musk started. Um, the estimates now are that they'd be around somewhere in the one to 2,000 range. It hasn't been fully disclosed. It's important to note that uh, when Twitter, in the earlier days when it had 200 million users, that it had about 1,000 employees as well. So I think this is one of those things where when you look at the facts, Twitter actually ran for many, many years with 1,000 to 1,400 employees with the same user base, the same activity base. Why do I think that's important? I think Twitter is a very, very important tool for all of us here for a social media active listening tool for uh, threat assessment. So um, again, there's a lot of negative news about this. Certainly, I don't want to get into the finances of Twitter, but the reality here is that the, the technical aspect of it doesn't change that much. Um, just recently this week, they've started reinstating banned accounts. Uh, former President Trump, John 
uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, Kathy Griffin. I mean, just a, a whole host of of accounts that were uh, banned in the past have been put uh, back on. There are some accounts that you know are still banned, and I think this is one of those things where uh, I wrote an article about this, and I really feel pretty strongly about big tech censoring becomes a very gray area. Uh, because it's big tech and it's not governmental, there's it's a private company. They they have the right to censor whatever they want, right? That it's their platform. Uh, if you read the terms of services, if you ever really wanted to get into the weeds of that, you'd understand that that legally they can censor you. Uh, the 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 thought is okay. So where does that start and where does that stop? And how do you manage misinformation, hate speech, and, and you know incitement of violence? And I think this is one of those things that is keeping Twitter in the news. And I think this is one of those things that will continue to be a challenge for all social media platforms is what is the balance of doing the right thing without censoring someone. So I think there's a lot to be said there and I think we need to keep an eye on it. Uh, On the flip side, just recently there was in the New York City area, there was a an active threat on synagogues where uh, an individual on Twitter actually said uh, on multiple social media platforms, but Twitter is one of them, that he was going to shoot up a synagogue. And he said, this time I'm serious type of uh, comment. That was actually what was said. Almost almost this time I'm really going to do it. Um, and because of some active monitoring protocols that are being used, this individual was identified. There was another individual with him. There was an arrest made. And that was based on using social media for active intelligence gathering. And there's a whole bunch of things that come out of that. But the point is that Twitter is still a very valuable tool, certainly for weather events, certainly for information out there. So I, I certainly hope that the next few months uh, there is improvement. And I think Elon Musk is kind of a larger than life character. And one of the things that I shouldn't say character, but that's what came out. I think one of the things that you see is that this is part of his stick or niche that he goes in and he's very disruptive and kind of breaks things and we'll, we'll continue to see that happening. So um, switching gears just a little to risk, uh, you know, we are in full swing of uh, holiday scams. So what my advice to you is to pay very, very close attention to emails and text messages at this point. Uh, this is the time when people send mass, mass in, in information um, uh, gathering type phishing or malware attempts where you really are trying to, they really are trying to get that information. So how many people have, have made an online order? How easy would it be if a really good email comes out there? Um, and I think that that is the thing to look out for those, uh, your FedEx packages delayed uh, emails, the the Amazon order email, the PayPal um, notification. So I was actually at a conference, a banking financial conference in San Diego last week, and someone showed me a couple PayPal uh, emails. Actually, my good friend Brad Moody, uh, who's a risk guy in the risk space, um, uh, he actually showed me one that he said he would use for a presentation. It was a really poorly written email. It wasn't really good, but the interesting part here is this is a different, uh, it was a different attempt and what, and I know we spoke about this before, but this wasn't trying to engage you in the email. It was telling you, hey, give this 800 number a call so we can validate information. And they're almost psychologically playing on, we don't want you to click on anything. We want you to have that verbal conversation, which we all know um, does have a psychological impact. It is harder um, to, you know, to assess 
when you're talking to someone what what it what it is that's going on. So I think keep an eye out for those. There is just a tremendous amount of, that are being taken advantage of. Black Friday and retail season, you know, emails, PayPal, money request scams. Um, click on the link to to reset your password uh, type scam. So you see a lot of these um, spoofing emails that are coming that look really really good. That says, "Hey, we just we just want to let you know we locked your account. When you have time, go in here." And and a lot of times they are non. There's this this different approach of their non urgency. So you know when when you when you we used to do this urgency right like do this now. And now we have these slow and low attacks where people are going, this isn't urgent. Hey, if you haven't used your account, don't worry. But when you get a chance, take a look. And the idea is they're, where the bad actors or the bot that the bad actors are using are playing on the psychological um, piece of it. There has been a tremendous amount of PayPal money scams where so-and-so sent you money um, and they're looking for you to add the a lot of times again that phone number is the one that you 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 have to keep aware of. The, the scammer adds a contact phone number. They add a, a number and say, "Hey, if you want to cancel this, just call this number. Call PayPal. Call Amazon. Um, you know, look at that." And then also the play on automated messages. A message that's a, an automated sound that. You know, when we're talking about it here, we go like, well, obviously that's a scam. But the reality is when you get that automated message about an order that sounds like an order you just placed, we're playing on that psychological piece. So when in doubt, take the extra few minutes. Don't click it. Don't call a phone number. If you don't have an order out there, don't worry about it. You know, that was my kind of big thing I would tell people is if, if you're not expecting something, don't, don't, don't fall into the privy of this looks really good. Um, be, and even invoice attachments, we've seen really good invoice attachments and folks will say, but look, there's an invoice here and this looks really, really good. So I think that that's a really important one to keep in mind, uh, you know, before you do it. And then two-factor authentication scams. So phishing scams that trick you into using a real, uh, uh, you know, pace, uh, password or, or, or around have been around forever where someone's sending in phishing scams to get you to give your password. That's been around. The big thing now is two-factor authentication. Everybody kind of almost in, in some design is using it. Uh, you know, your banks in some most cases force you to use it. So you don't even have the ability to not use two-factor authentication. And what two-factor authentication is, is exactly what it so sounds like when you log into something, there is a second form factor of authentication required. Now, what I would say to that is that, you know, a lot of us use SMS and some of us use app-based two-factor authentication. I'm a, a proponent and I always advise to use app-based, which allows you to, to go to an app that's on your device. Um, and that's a much more difficult one to, to, to defeat for the bad guys. They can, but what ends up happening is, uh, it, you, you do, you you have someone go to log in and they need that secondary number, whether it be through app based or text text based. And what is happening is you have scammers that know this, so they're really taking um, a lot to aim at almost uh, creating websites or creating ways to make it look like it's 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 something. So you know, sending you a message that your account is in violation of Facebook terms, for instance, and then get in touch with us. You know, this is 
only valid for 24 hours. You click on that. Um, that message then brings you to log, you know, log in. Um, and then it, it will immediately ask you for a password. You go to that password and then it's going to ask you for a two factor authentication code, just like it would always would. And then at the exact same time, um, you know, they'll, the bad actors will be using that code. So this is a little bit more sophisticated, but the key here is do not click on links and emails or text messages. Go to, if you believe that you have a locked account, if you believe that there's a challenge, go to the actual website itself on your own and look at it. Don't resist the urge to be curious. The other thing about clicking links is as these attacks are more sophisticated, sometimes there'll be malicious code that's executed. So the, the, the good rule of thumb is don't click that link unless you know it's a legitimate link and you have to really, really think through that. Another one is credit monitoring alert scams. So you get an alert that looks like there's an account hack or you know you get your any of the credit monitoring companies alerting you via text message to check this out. Be very aware of what it looks like. Um, the great thing about saved passwords is most autofill passwords, not all, will not autofill. So if you go to a website that's not the same, it's not going to allow you to put that password and it's going to remind you uh, in some cases. So I think we, you, as we continue to evolve here, the there is, and this is a great thing, there is a better, um, a better mousetrap, if you will, for some of this, but it's still the human error piece really comes in. Um, just be very, very aware of what it, it, it could happen. This week, if you have a new iPhone and you were on uh, iOS 16, you would have seen an update go through. This was a critical update for a security flaw. Update your phones. You know, I, I know I say that every single uh, podcast. It's that important that I say it every single podcast. That that is the way, um, and I, I mean it. That is the way that you know the easiest way for all of us to protect ourselves is by simply just doing um, that update. And then I'm going to close out with uh, FTX crypto um, news. And I, I spoke a little bit about this in the last podcast with the, you know, the one of the larger crypto exchanges going under, um, talked about crypto winner going to a crypto avalanche. But in a new bankruptcy filing, uh, the value of FTX's crypto was just $659,000. Um, yet, uh, just a few weeks prior, the 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 CEO said it was 5.5 billion. So huge, huge, huge difference, right? 659 thousand versus a five billion dollar um, holding. This is a major, major challenge for crypto because um, what this does is really kind of exasperates the calling for regulation. I believe there needs to be regulation with crypto. I believe crypto will be here to stay. But I also, this is not the first run of crypto exchanges that have gone and filed for bankruptcy. Celsius is another one. The thing about FTX that's so challenging is that it really flushes out uh, one of the challenges with crypto. And um, I think Jamie Dimon and a few other people had said this in the past that it's a modern day Ponzi scheme. You know, you're, you're, you're putting money into it. And as long as there's money still going in, the money grows. 
the second that money starts uh, stops going in, the bottom falls out. The lower people on the pole um, have their money, and but some in the top don't, or vice versa. The bottom fell out here in in the crypto market, and one of the things um, is that the assets of September thirtieth totaled two point two billion. Um, so you know the challenge here is you had an eight an eight billion dollar to a five billion dollar to a two billion dollar to a six hundred fifty nine thousand dollar challenge here, and there isn't necessarily um, nefarious actors here. This isn't necessarily um, their CEO Sam Bankman. Uh, this isn't necessarily that that there was any nefarious action. This was you have a tremendous amount of money put into this. And the interest that's that's growing on this, and the way it, it, it's moving, is based on that that crypto that it keeps you know keeps growing and replicating. But again, that Ponzi scheme piece is that when there's nothing at the bottom and the bottom falls out, there's no money to fund um, the money. Uh, and with crypto, it isn't as simple as that, right? You are buying this this cryptocurrency, but the reality um, is that it. It, it's a pretty, pretty wild ride for anybody that's involved, and I think just for Sam Bankman, the the CEO who was ousted, um, he had sixteen billion dollars that that in 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 reality, not in theory, um, in less than a, a, a week was evaporated, gone. Um, so, and the, um, at one point, the digital assets that he had peaked at $26 billion. Just, just think of those are massive, massive numbers. And, um, the, you know, we're, there is a, I, I believe around $3 billion out that's owed, um, to customers right now. And I think it'll be higher than that. And this is one of the risks with crypto. So we're going to continue to watch this because I think this will affect the overall crypto market and how, what the future will be. But for everybody here, it's just like any other investment, be diversified, understand what you're getting involved in. Um, you know, I'm not anti-crypto at all. I just think it's a part of the payment cycle. It's not the, it's not a big part of the payment cycle. And this is going to force regulation that wasn't there before. And with that, I will turn it back over to Tony and Reed. All right. Thank you both so much uh, for everything, Tom and Tony. Um, amazing information. And uh, we love working with you all. And uh, thank you to Diego for all your production and all your hard work and uh, all the planning as we're moving forward. We'll start having some special guests. Um, and thank you, Wilson, for helping us also pull things together. Um, and mostly thank you to you all. Always listening, tuning in. We want to hear from you. What do we do? What should we do to improve here um, at LPResearch.org? And uh, we'll be at operations at LPResearch.org. Everybody have a great and safe day. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 